Welcome to Misty 101 podcast. We hope that you enjoy this episode of our podcast. Mom left in tears after she thought she'd catch COVID from the Henry Hoover she got in Asda. A mother has been left distraught after she coughed up £150 for a new Henry Hoover from Asda, only to discover it was a second-hand Hetty. Mum of two Kate Ronan claims she's scared of the second-hand Hoover as she thinks she could catch Covid from it. But she says she was appalled to find that it was a different model altogether than the one she'd paid for. Kate, 42, says she instantly headed back to the Watford store where staff told her they couldn't help her. She told Watford Observer, I asked her why and she said there is no way you bought this Hoover from here. I asked her are you calling me a liar, and she said yes. I was told that they don't sell pink Hetty Hoovers, so I suggested someone had brought it back and duped them and she told me I must have done it. The mom claims she was left in tears after being told to leave the store and ring head office. I started to cry at this stage as I was extremely upset and embarrassed she added. As I struggled to pick up the heavy box and make my way out of the building they stood and watched on and pointed at a part I had dropped. Ms Ronan, who works as a company director for a travel agent, says that Asda's head office had offered her a £15 voucher. However, she says that is unacceptable and she wants a new Hoover. Ms. Ronan has called the situation disgusting and said she may contact the vacuum brand's head office to trace where the Hetty was originally purchased from. But an Asda spokesperson defended the chain, claiming that the customer didn't buy the Hoover from one of its stores, and that they don't sell that model or second-hand products. An Asda spokesperson told My London. We always want our customers to enjoy shopping with us and we have apologized to Miss Ronan for her experience. However the product returned to us by Miss Ronan is not a model that we sell and we can only provide refunds for items that were bought at Asda. Drink Driver, 29, swallowed hand sanitizer before a breath test. A drink driver tried to fool police by swallowing hand sanitizer before a breath test without realizing that the antibacterial gel contained alcohol. Shop assistant Sophie Nutter, 29, was told by a judge she was lucky not to be spending Christmas behind bars after the test showed 52 micrograms of alcohol in 100 milliliters of breath. The legal limit is 35 micrograms. She had been spotted swerving across the road in her Suzuki Swift with four flat tires and a broken windscreen. Police found her slurping from a bottle of hand sanitizer. The mother from Beverly, East Yorkshire, admitted drink driving and using a vehicle likely to cause danger of injury on April 7 when she appeared at Hull Crown Court. Recorder Alex Menery told the court that Nutter had tried to swallow sanitizer which contains 60% alcohol, in a failed effort to reduce her breath test reading. She had breached a two-year suspended sentence for drug offences imposed in October last year. She was given a one-year community order and a 23-month driving ban and must pay £100 costs. Strange orange light spotted in the sky over West London. 
People in West London have spotted a strange orange light in the sky in the past few nights. Many pictures have appeared on social media in recent days showing a sliver of orange glow in an otherwise pitch black night sky. Londoners took to Twitter, curious what the strange light could be. One person in Hayes wrote, walking the dog in the pitch black and this orange light source breaking through the sky, any ideas? It's not the moon for certain that's behind me. Another wrote, been seeing a weird orange light in the sky recently across West London. A third said, a bright lens of cloud in London sky. How can it be explained? Some people offered an explanation for the source of the light. One person speculated on Twitter, strange lights in the sky in northwest London being caused by orange light being shone on the Wembley Stadium pitch to mimic daylight to keep the grass in top condition. Another person agreed, apparently, they are, grow lights to help the grass in Wembley Stadium, seriously. A third said, it's the light in Wembley Stadium for treating the grass. Wembley Stadium confirmed that they are currently undergoing winter pitch renovation works, which could be more noticeable than in recent years due to a shorter turnaround due to various fixtures in the schedule. The work, which is using a germination sheet to help treat the grass, is due to be completed in the coming days. Polling guru John Curtis exposes two key issues for Boris Johnson, could be curtains. As pressure grows on the tenure of the Prime Minister, Professor Sir John claimed Mr Johnson is beginning to lose the trust of the electorate. Although Mr Johnson has claimed he did not break any rules concerning the alleged parties last year, Professor Sir John claimed the electorate believe Covid rules were broken last year. Speaking to Express.co.uk, Professor Sir John likened the alleged parties to the Dominic Cummings fiasco last year. He said, Boris has two problems, firstly, he seems to have lost the authority of the electorate. Despite his comments, people think there was a party and the rules were broken. And two-thirds say he's not telling the truth. His personal ratings have now gone south substantially. Like with the Cummings fiasco, they were never able to convince the public it was right. At the moment they are wholly failing to convince the public that the, the 18th of December party did not take place. The alleged parties held in Whitehall and No 10 last year have caused the Prime Minister's approval rating to drop. According to a poll from Ipsos Mori, the Prime Minister has now fallen 13 points behind Sir Keir Starmer. In the poll, commissioned by the Evening Standard, Sir Keir was rated at 44%, while Mr Johnson fell to 31%. Professor Sir John also claimed the Prime Minister has lost authority over his party. He added, what you also have, is that it's clear he does not command the authority of his MPs. To address the 1922 committee and to fail to reduce the rebellion says something. It may not be the challenge the party wants to face but it must manage it successfully. If it doesn't, it will be curtains for Boris Johnson in the short run and the Tories in the long run. 
Mr. Johnson was delivered a serious blow to his leadership during the week after 99 MPs voted against the government's COVID pass requirement for entry into venues. A further 31 MPs abstained from the vote, wiping out the Prime Minister's 80-seat majority. Amid the crisis for the Prime Minister, Sir Keir Starmer said, Boris Johnson is too weak to lead. The public is safer thanks to Labour putting people's health before party politics. The Prime Minister needs to take a long, hard look at himself and ask whether he has the authority to take this country through the pandemic. Ipsos Mori interviewed a representative sample of 1,005 British adults 18 plus by telephone 3rd to 10th December 2021. Truth behind bizarre laws from women banned from eating chocolate on the London Underground to a stop on people carrying salmon suspiciously. The internet is absolutely littered with the claim that a now-repealed 19th-century law prohibited women from eating chocolate on the tube, and, indeed, any form of transport. Really? When? Why? Who proposed this law? When was it repealed? I found the claim repeated in a book, I googled it and saw it again and again and again, never citing any wording, or the year it was repealed. This is the point at which I am, as a journalist, supposed to sniff about false information and with my best I'm the only adult in the room voice, declare that people are gullible and credulous to believe such nonsense. Except over the centuries, Londoners have had to live under some really, really weird laws, much weirder than women being prohibited from eating chocolate on the tube, of which, by the way, law.com.gov.uk have said, we can find no trace of such an offence and they added, rather naively I feel, it seems unlikely that it would be gender specific. Or. Really. Okay then, lads. Women have historically been denied the right to vote to decide whether or not they stay with an abusive partner, or even to have a place to pee, but when it comes to the munching of tasty treats on public transport, we are a gender equality utopia, damn it. The thing is, plenty of London's most ridiculous laws have been genuine. For example, it really is illegal to enter the Houses of Parliament wearing a suit of armour. The 1,313 statute forbidding bearing of armour is still in force, and so, just as it says in its own title, forbids members of parliament from wearing armour in the house. So apparently you can hold all the illegal parties you want, but turn up as the night you wish you were and the Met might actually throw the book at you. But it isn't really illegal to die in parliament. Somewhere along the way, People got the idea that if you died in Parliament, or any royal palace, you were automatically entitled to a state funeral. This is not true, not even the Prime Minister Spencer Perceval, who was assassinated in the House of Commons in 1812, received a state funeral, his widow requested it be private, and we would hardly have given Guy Fawkes or Sir Walter Raleigh state funerals after they were executed there. And even if it were mandatory to give a state funeral to anyone who died in Parliament, why the next logical step would be to make it illegal is anyone's guess. 
perhaps we seem like a nation of people who would make silly laws. But it actually was illegal to stand within 100 yards of the reigning monarch without wearing socks. Henry VIII, Mary I and Elizabeth I all passed laws regulating clothing styles. The passing of the 1,562 articles for the execution of the statutes of apparel made it illegal for people to appear at the royal court wearing, for example, shirts with outrageous double ruffs. The very idea. James I was clearly a bit more relaxed, though, and repealed them. But it isn't really illegal for your pet to have carnal knowledge of the Queen's corgis. I mean, I wouldn't recommend it, it would be a horribly awkward way to meet Her Majesty, but there's no evidence of any statutes on royal pets. It really was illegal to harbour a Catholic priest. The country was very intolerant of Catholics in the 1500s, so harbouring one was an act of treason, but this has obviously been repealed. It's illegal to shake a carpet in the street. If it's a doormat, fine but only before 8 a.m., you animals. It's also illegal to keep a pigsty in front of your house. So don't try it. If the commissioner of police gives you permission to drive cows down the roadway, have at it. But otherwise it's illegal. And until 1960, men really were legally required to practice archery. The Unlawful Games Act required every Englishman between the ages of 17 and 60, with various exemptions, to keep a longbow and regularly practice archery. Of course that was repealed, but not until the 1960 Betting and Gaming Act. Go home and tell your granddads what filthy lawbreakers they used to be. It was, and still is, illegal to carry a plank along a pavement. It's an offence under Section 54 of the Metropolitan Police Act 1839, and the same act states that you cannot slide along on ice in the street. It is still illegal to be drunk in a pub. Seriously. Under Section 12 of the Licensing Act 1872, every person found drunk, on any licensed premises, shall be liable to a penalty. It is also an offence under the Metropolitan Police Act 1839 for the keeper of a public house to permit drunkenness or disorderly conduct on the premises. It's also illegal, under the Licensing Act 2003, to sell alcohol to someone who is drunk, hence don't you think you've had enough now, sir? It is illegal to handle salmon in suspicious circumstances. It is, apparently an offence under the Salmon Act 1986. I'd ask what on earth it means, but I'm afraid someone will tell me. So while there is no evidence that there was ever a law that women were prohibited from eating chocolate on the tube, it wouldn't by a long stretch be the weirdest rule we've ever had to live under. Departure of Frost as Brexit Minister sets off alarm bells in Brussels. The resignation of David Frost as Boris Johnson's Brexit minister has set off alarm bells in Brussels, with officials unclear as to the approach that will be taken by the Prime Minister in the new year. In recent weeks, the UK government softened its approach to the post-Brexit arrangements for Northern Ireland, 
with the two sides brokering a Christmas truce in the talks on a relatively positive note. There is concern that Johnson, under huge pressure from the right of his Conservative Party over Covid restrictions, will feel the need to replace Frost with someone who will want to unravel the new approach. On Sunday, reports suggested that figures such as Ian Duncan Smith, the former Work and Pensions Secretary, or even David Davis, who resigned as Theresa May's Brexit Secretary in 2018, could be in the running. Both men have called for the ditching of the Northern Ireland Protocol in the past. One EU diplomat said, hopefully the new negotiator will be more pragmatic, making good relations with the EU and its member states' relations a priority over the pursuit of a pure, antagonistic Brexit, we are not holding our breath. Frost, who was Johnson's Brexit fixer for two and a half years has been a pugnacious and difficult negotiating partner for Brussels. He was recognised as having both the Prime Minister's ear and standing among the most vocal Brexiters in the Tory party. His apparent buy-in to a notable change of tone and policy in recent weeks was seen as a positive. While the EU has not wholly embraced the change, insisting that Downing Street was still seeking to renege on its past agreements, the UK had been offering to focus on issues around trade friction rather than pursue a more thoroughgoing rewrite of the protocol. But, while there are some concerns about the future, few tears will be shed in Brussels over Frost's departure from the scene. He was Johnson's Brexit fixer for two and a half difficult years, bringing a clarity over the UK's approach but also a willingness to push negotiations to the edge even on the sensitive issue of the Irish border. Frost inherited and finished the negotiations on the so-called Northern Ireland Protocol in the Withdrawal Agreement, a compromise that guarantees that, that there is no border on the island of Ireland. But the minister had been scathing about the arrangement, which effectively keeps Northern Ireland in the EU's single market for goods and draws a customs border down the Irish Sea. His command paper of July emphasised that this outcome had been forced on the Johnson administration due to errors under the previous Prime Minister. This year has seen Frost seek to unpick much of that deal, with his most contentious demand being that the European Court of Justice should not be the arbiter of disputes over the implementation of the law in Northern Ireland. In recent days, there has been a shift to accept that the ECJ will play a role albeit merely as a reference point on EU law for an independent arbitration panel. Frost privately insisted this was not a new position but other British officials have indicated that it was a shift, hinting at difficult conversations within government. Diplomats and officials in Brussels were not generous in their assessment of the minister, known to the Prime Minister as the Great Frost. Lord Frost never got Brexit done he actually made sure it endured using the Northern Ireland Protocol to get his way one senior EU diplomat said. But one year on from the deal he negotiated, what did it bring the UK? Apart from mistrust and deteriorated relationships with most member states. The diplomat added, Frost seemed to have a very ideological idea of what Brexit meant and that didn't make for good neighbourly relations. 
for now the European Court of Justice was a bridge too far for Downing Street, but it will depend on his successor whether we indeed see a more pragmatic line emerge. A further major issue that will require the attention of Frost's replacement is fisheries, where the French government continues to insist that it has been hard done by in terms of licenses for vessels operating in British waters. Frost has also voiced his frustration that the UK has not been provided with access to Horizon Europe, the EU's research and innovation programme. Two months ago, the veteran MP Bill Cash, chair of the Commons European Scrutiny Committee, claimed British scientists were being frozen out of the £80 billion flagship research programme because of the ongoing dispute over Northern Ireland. Sixth child killed in Bouncy Castle tragedy is named, as two children still critical. An 11-year-old boy has been named as the sixth child to be killed in a Bouncy Castle accident four days ago in Australia's island state Tasmania, police have confirmed. The children fell 10 metres, 33 feet, to the ground as they were left trapped inside an inflated bouncy castle that was lifted into the air from a gust of wind at an end-of-year celebration at Hillcrest Primary School in Devonport, in the northwest of Tasmania, on Thursday. Australian police have now confirmed Chase Harrison, 11, is the sixth child to have died following the tragic accident. Commissioner Darren Hines said, It is with a heavy heart that I can confirm an 11-year-old boy passed away in hospital this afternoon. His name is Chase Harrison. Our thoughts continue to be with his family, and the families and loved ones of all the children involved, during what is an incomprehensibly difficult time. At least nine children were seriously injured in the incident with two children remaining in critical conditions in the Royal Hobart Hospital, and another child recovering at home. The other five children who died were named by police as Addison Stewart, 11, Zane Meller, 12, Jai Sheehan, 12, Jalila Jane Mary Jones, 12, and Peter Dodd, 12. Commissioner Hine added the investigation into their deaths will take some time before acknowledging the need to respect grieving families and the school community. He also said the state has also called in help from New South Wales State Police to help interview the other grade 5 and 6 children who were at the event. He said, We are working tirelessly with all parties concerned to ensure the extensive investigation is completed as a matter of priority for the coroner. Their priority will be to interview all witnesses, gather and analyse forensic evidence and all environmental aspects, including weather patterns and conditions at the time of the incident. Given the magnitude of this critical incident and the need to speak to a large number of traumatised children within a short period of time, we have accepted an offer from NSW police to assist in conducting interviews in relation to the investigation. Community recovery arrangements are in place, and our thoughts continue to be with the families, loved ones and all those affected by this tragedy. The loss of six young lives will be felt by our community for a long time, so please take care of yourselves and those around you. An online fundraiser to support the victims' families has raised nearly $1.3 million, 
£699,339.45 over the past three days from people all over the country and abroad. We hope that you have enjoyed our podcast. We thank you for your support. We hope to see you again next time.